0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hess Help Hotline. Today, I am going to be talking about key components of civilization. Now, um, when we talk about civilization, when we talk about ancient civilizations, early civilizations, and so forth and so on, we're talking about a way of life that is characterized by urban areas, shared methods of communication, some sort of administrative infrastructure, and divisions of labor. So, <clears throat> excuse me, civilization is a complex way of life that basically came about when people started to have urban settlements. So urban settlements are any settlements in where people are living in dense areas together. So population density is higher, meaning that there are more people living close to each other. So the earliest civilizations developed between 4000 and 3000 BCE, and one of the things that created that allowed this, as you may have remembered from the mankind documentary, was the rise of agriculture and trade allowed people to have surplus food and economic stability. And many people no longer had to practice farming. so there was a more diverse field of professions and interests could flourish uh, more um, they could flourish more. In a confined and in a relatively confined area. So, civilizations first appeared in Mesopotamia and Egypt. So, Mesopotamia is what is now Iraq, and Mesopotamia was a civilization that sprang up between two different rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, and Egypt soon after that. Um, The Indus Valley by 2500 BC, China about 1500 BC. Um, and Central America in about 1200 BCE. So civilizations ultimately developed on pretty much every continent, uh, except Antarctica where people still don't live. So what are the characteristics of civilization? So there are certain characteristics that we say that um, would create a civilization, so to speak. So large population centers, Uh, monumental architecture and unique art styles, a shared communication strategies, systems for administering territories, a complex division of labor and the division of people into social and economic classes. So when we talk about large population centers, we're talking about urban areas. Urban areas allow civilizations to develop. Although people who live outside these urban centers are still part of that region's civilization. So rural residents of civilizations would be things like farmers, traders, fishers who sell their goods and services to the urban residents. So they can be pretty big. So for example, the urban center of Tenochtitlan, which is in what is now Mexico, had as many as 200,000 people living in it between 300 and 600 CE. Um, the development of Tenochtitlan was made possible by agricultural land that surrounded the city. And as land was cultivated, fewer farmers could supply more food to the people. And their food staples in Mexico were corn and beans. Trade also plays a part in Tenochtitlan's urban development and any other... Urban development of any other civilization. Uh, much of the wealth and power of Tenochtitlan was due to excavating and trading the obsidian around the city. Now, obsidian is a very um, pretty black rock and volcanic rock, and it was very highly valued as a tutting, cutting, not cutting, cutting tool. <coughs> Excuse me. And merchants would trade obsidian to surrounding cultures and surrounding villages and whatnot in exchange for goods and services to help with the settlement. Now, all civilizations work to preserve their legacy by building large monuments and structures, and this is as true today as it was thousands of years ago, hence we get skyscrapers and things today. So an example of ancient monuments would be Uh, An example would be Great Zimbabwe, um, used as a symbol of political power in the modern nation of Zimbabwe. Now, Great Zimbabwe was constructed between 1100 and 1450 CE, and it describes the ruins of the capital of the Kingdom of Zimbabwe. Now, at its peak, Great Zimbabwe was inhabited by more than 10,000 people and was part of a great trading network throughout that Extended throughout the eastern coast of Africa And went as far as India and China It is A testament to The ingenuity of the ancestors Of the local Shona people And people have Built their entire political identities By associating themselves with the ancient civilization's Monumental architecture People like Um Robert Mugabe, who was the President of Zimbabwe for almost forty years, buildings don't just define civilizations. the There's a distinct artistic style, um, and this is also seen in Great Zimbabwe, um, which has native animals carved in soapstones and uh, stone sculptures that remain an emblem of Zimbabwe appearing on the flag, the currency, and the coat of arms. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should really Google Great Zimbabwe and have a look at it. Uh, Shared communication is another element that all civilizations share, and it may include spoken language, alphabets, numeric systems, signs, ideas, symbols, illustrations, and representations. Shared communication is what allows for um, infrastructure to happen, like, again, like we saw in the documentary when they were building the pyramids, they created a written language, okay? Um, It is also to help with cultural trade and exchange. So, you know, we know about this trader's stories because he wrote them in the clay tablets. And communication also allows for a form of government to be developed and shared throughout the civilization. So for example, Inca civilization had no written script that we know of, but it had a complex system of accounting which allowed the government to be able to conduct censuses of the population. And a census is when you go around and you count how many people are in different places, et cetera, et cetera. And so and it was able to, to have a recording device that was able to do it. It was called a kipu. And a kipu is a recording device made of a series of strings. And they're knotted in particular patterns and colors. So that's how they were able to, that was like their way of counting. Written language in particular allows civilizations obviously to record everything, their history, their everyday events. And if it weren't for the written language, I don't think we would know as much about the ancient cultures as we do. Now, the world's oldest known written language is Sumerian, which was developed in 3100 BCE uh, in Mesopotamia. The most familiar form of Sumerian writing was called cuneiform, and it was made up of different wedge shapes, like different triangular shapes. The earliest Sumerian writing was record-keeping, just like we have written records of you know, our taxes, um, we write grocery lists, um, bills, laws, things like that. That's what the Sumerian cuneiform kept track of as well. So um, written language was also a key part of the shared communication during the Islamic Golden Age, which was uh, in southern Europe, northern Africa, and Western A- Asia from the 7th to the 13th centuries. And this is where we get the so-called Arabic numerals and the Arabic language that were shared communications that allowed for diverse cultures of different people across the Arabic world to contribute to science, technology, mathematics, and the arts and whatnot. And, you know, Arabic numerals are the same numbers that we use today. So there you go. So that is... The shared form of communication. When we talk about infrastructure and administration, we are talking about some sort of government or bureaucracy. Um, Rome is a very good example of this. So the word civilization itself comes from Latin, uh, the Latin word civis, which means citizen. And Latin was the language of ancient Rome. Uh, and ancient Rome, at its peak, went all the way from Great Britain in the north to the Black Sea in the east and all of the Mediterranean basin. So, if you're going to rule that big of an area, uh, you needed an effective system—not citizen, sorry—system uh, sorry, system of government administration and infrastructure. So, the Romans used a variety of methods to administer. Their, uh, well, what, what first was known as a republic and later the empire. Engineering was a very key part of Roman administration, and they built a network of roads so that communication could be as efficient as possible. And roads also made uh, the army, uh, made it easier for the army to travel and, and, and whatnot. They also built structures. Uh, everywhere they went. Like, so you see Roman aqueducts, um, all over what uh, places that were part of the ancient Roman empire. Um, aqueducts are basically these, um, tubes, like half tubes and whatnot that helped, um, move water from one place to another. Cause we all know how important water is to a civilization. Um, Roman infrastructure was also helped out by language. So the Romans spread the Latin language throughout Southern Europe. And I think we, I've mentioned this, but we have these Romance languages. And these Romance languages all um, spring from Latin. So the Romance languages are Italian, Romanian, Portuguese, French, Spanish, and Catalan. And they're not called Romance languages because they're so (coughs) but they're called Romance languages because they developed from the Roman language, which was Latin. Um, And having a similar language made communication and leadership easier for Rome, considering look how big their territory was. Um, They also had legal codes, which the Roman leaders would rely on. These codes were basically laws between different parts of Roman territories. And there were also codes between rich and poor, men and women, slaves and free people. And Roman laws would talk about all these things. They talk about restrictions on marriage, ownership of land, who could and couldn't be certain professions like priests. That's the sort of things that um, the Roman laws were for. One of Rome's most lasting contributions to what we call Western civilization, which is what we are, we're part of the Western civilization, was this legal culture itself. So Roman law was largely public and jurists created such formalities as legal language and procedure that define European law today. In fact, Roman law describes the legal system used throughout Western Europe throughout the 18th century. So Romans used local leaders as well as Romans to administer the law in their territories. Um, Residents were more familiar with their own leaders and more likely to follow their announcements. So the Romans weren't stupid. They didn't like conquer Gaul and then be like, right, the Romans are going to take over and they're going to be the leaders in these local places. They said, hey, okay, we've conquered you, but you you used to be the leader of Gaul, now you're one of the leaders of this territory, which is now part of the Roman Empire. And uh, so that way they knew the citizens were less likely to uprise about it. Um, So for example, uh, the Romans took over Palestine and Israeli leaders worked with Roman authorities, while British leaders often worked with the Romans on the island of Great Britain. So some people born in Roman territories eventually became Roman emperors. So the Emperor Constantine was born in what is now Serbia. Uh, Hadrian uh, was born in what is now Spain. So, but this interaction between the locals and the Romans actually reduced conflict between the Rome, as in the Roman Italy, and the rest of the empire, which was outside of that. Um, They also had a division of labor, which uh, most civilizations are marked by. And this means, division of labor means that people actually had specialized tasks. So, in a purely agricultural society, members of the community are pretty self-sufficient and can provide food, shelter, and clothing for themselves. But as the civilization gets more complex, you know you get this specialization specialization is where like you're really good at one thing so that's what you're going to do and you're going to rely on other people for everything else so for example farmers may only cultivate one type of crop and depend on other people for other types of food clothing shelter and information and so forth okay that's how you get like your blacksmiths they're specialized excuse me You know, your bakers, your seamstresses, all that sort of stuff. They are specialists in their area. They can provide for what they know how to provide for, but then they have to rely on other people for everything else. Civilizations that depend on trade are especially marked by divisions of labor. So in what is now Mali, There's a city, Timbuktu, and it was an important trading center for several African civilizations. And the residents of Timbuktu would specialize in trading things like gold, ivory, or slaves. And other residents provided food or shelter for the trade caravans, which would come in on camels from the Sahara Desert. The urban center of Timbuktu was also a center of learning, and its division of labor included not only merchants, but religious leaders, artists, doctors, educators, philosophers, all that kind of stuff. Which leads us to the last element that is key to the development of civilizations, and that is class structure. So class structure is an idea that can be broken down into two parts. There's income and type of work performed. Changing classes has traditionally been difficult and happens over generations. So classes can mean groups of people divided by their income. So this division is sometimes characterized as what we would call an economic class. So we in modern Western civilization often divide economic classes into wealthy, middle class, and poor. In medieval civilizations of Europe, there were fewer economic classes. You had kings and queens, with a whole bunch of land and then you had serfs who worked the land and not a lot in between. Um, It wasn't until later on towards the end of the medieval times that a merchant class developed. Class can also refer to the type of work people perform. So there are many divisions of social class. Social class is often associated with economic class, but not strictly defined by it. So, for example, in ancient China, there were four major types of social classes. You had the scholars and political leaders who were known as Xi, and they were the most powerful social class. Then you had the farmers and agricultural workers, their Nong. They were the next most powerful group, artists. Gong, who made everything from horseshoes to silk robes and whatnot. So when we talk about artists, we're talking not just people who paint or sculpt or whatever. We're talking about artisans, which is people who make things. They were the next order of social class. And then at the bottom of the social class were the merchants and traders who bought and sold goods and services. And they were known as Shang. Even though they were considered to be the bottom of the social class, Shang often were much wealthier than the other classes, but they just had a lower social status. So, in ancient China, it was not an economic social class, but a status thing, okay? So, civilizations expand through trade, conflict, and exploration. And usually all three elements must be present for a civilization to grow and remain stable for a long period of time. So we talk about trade. We talk about, uh, for example, the Silk Road, which linked Asia to Europe and brought a whole bunch of spices and silk from Asia to Europe. Southeast Asia's extensive network of waterworks, waterways facilitated train trade between the Khmer capital of Angkor being built on the shores of Southeast Asia's largest freshwater lake, um, and it's a tributary of the Mekong River which connects Southeast Asia to, with the Tibetan Plateau in the north and the South China Sea in the south. So trade is very important, conflict, okay? conflict with your neighbors. And then exploration and innovation, being able to go, hey, what's outside there? Let's do that. And then also innovation. So, for example, things like irrigation systems, you know, new inventions, new technologies that help out, okay? So that is just a brief, not so brief, 20-minute summary or discussion, uh, self-discussion, I'm talking to myself, but of key components of civilization. I hope that this was interesting um, and that you can keep that in mind when we're doing stuff in our ancient civilizations. All right. Keep your masks on, stay safe, and I'll talk to you later.